All right, what's going on, Digital Cat? Happy New Year, Colin. It's been a long Happy time. Happy New since Year, Kirk. Thanks, one. Chuck. I was, I was I sitting like, right here. I feel like we haven't recorded with Chuck in ages. Well, it has been. I mean, I spent a month over in London. Yeah. So, whoa, so. whoa, whoa. Across the pond, Chuck? Across the, Across pond, the pond, I did. Yeah. Not as far away as our compatriot Mark is. Mark, where are you? I'm on an Arkansas pond known as I-30 right now. It's <laughs> raining pretty hard. <laughs> Mark and Saul. Mark and Saul. Mark so, and Saul. Mark's out on the road calling in today, uh, which inspired us. So we're going to start sending Mark out to the field to be boots on the ground. For all of our oil and gas uh, big company listeners, um, have we given Mark the safety talk? Have you pulled over, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> Did we have a yeah. safety meeting? Yeah, we need a JSA for this. So... <laughs> Anyway, it's been a few weeks since we've all got together and recorded. Hope everyone had a good, ho- uh, happy holidays and a good new year. Um, want to give a shout out to TCU. Um, their Energy Institute posted about us over the New Year's break, saying that they are starting a new series where they share energy content that they're consuming at the at the institute. And their first installment of that was Big Digital Energy. So, I'm of course tickled that you have this renowned university and energy institute posting about bde on linkedin but i mean it just shows that you know this is the truth you want energy news come to big digital energy and i'm just really hoping that bill ackman's not going to start checking plagiarism on a big digital (laughs) energy because uh (laughs) dude i love his i'm gonna have to watch what i'm saying you know bill ackman he's he's going in right now and so i made a tweet about that the other day that you can't get accused of plagiarism if you didn't go to college so i saw that That that's good i had the foresight to play this play this out smart so also yeah if you fact check bde that's well those of us that are actually went through sort of the public school system which i did everyone can can tell that (laughs) we didn't plagiarize i don't understand where all this plagiarism came from it seems like everyone does it i was like i'd never did it Actually, the the superintendent for KDISD got ran out four years ago for plagiarism. Pissed off one of my friends. You know, was really being condescending to him in one of the in one of the meetings. So my friend went down this rabbit hole and found that he plagiarized his um, dissertation and got him ran <laughs> out. So this thing's been going on for for a while. But yeah, um, you know, I also, mean, we generate three million supposedly peer-reviewed papers whatever you want to call them a year in academia and it's going to turn out that 95 percent of it's just reproducing stuff already written yeah well you can have confidence that these are the people that are uh, driving policy in energy and climate so we're in good hands i can't believe none (laughs) of them referenced solomon who said nothing new is under the sun like everything that's been thought of has already been thought of so um, true. Plus, I refuse to believe that there has been an original word written about Shakespeare in the last 50 years. <laughs> I mean, come on. Uh, we've, we've beat that to death. Yeah. Same with the JFK assassination. <laughs> hey, now. <laughs> We're finding stuff out every day, and there's still 4,000. I'm bringing something new yeah, to yeah, the table. Yeah, yeah. There, there's no there, there, there. there are 4,000 uh, documents that are still uh, still classified, so. Well, hey, Mark, why don't you actually jump in here and kick us off on some real energy stuff before I go down my <laughs> JFK rabbit hole? Yeah, so really, it seems like a topic spillover from 2023. We talked quite a bit about you know the notion of 
inventory runway and a bit of the surprise of U.S. production growth. You know, in the last couple of weeks, there's been a bit of a, I don't know if we call it a throwdown, but uh, Doomberg was out with a piece called Peak Cheap Oil is a Myth, basically saying that, you know, really smart people in the industry, some of the best in the world with science and engineering, combined with technology and the abundance of resource in place really have combined. We've been through a sine wave over a long period of time of peak drop, but it's been an up and to the right type of story. In addition to that, and this is something that Doomberg coined in a, in a recent the past piece uh, prior to the one on uh, peak cheap oil is a myth, is the definition of oil as it relates to what goes into a refinery is and in, in turned into other stuff. And the big wedge of that, uh, not surprisingly, is where the U.S. is in particular on NGL production over the last 10 years. We're, I think, knocking on the door of 7 million barrels a day. And the point is you got to count that too. And I've, I've, I've lost my dexterity with, you know, distillation and processes and what up and down the NGL chain can be refined into what, uh, particularly metal distillates. But the notion is we've entered a phase of abundance as defined by what can be called oil and what goes into refinery by an industry that has proven time and again that it can get better, more efficient technology. In fact, one of the one of the points he made in a um, follow-on podcast with a um, thoughtful money was. Look, I think uh, I think I'd take the over on oil production being at 140 million barrels a day. I think their definition, which would include NGLs, for example, they take the over on 140 million barrels a day at 2050. Well, last week, Art Berman came out somewhat in response to that, I believe, talking about primarily the Permian. You know, the end is is you know we're we're seeing the beginning of the end of the Permian. It is subject to, you know, the natural laws of depletion. The wells have degraded. If you look across the big three, the Permian, the Bach, and Eagleford, the wells have degraded in ultimate recovery prediction on the order of 20 to 30 percent in a fairly short period of time over the last two to three years of data. And that what we're seeing is, you know, Pulling on the straw is harder effectively, but interference and much too aggressive spacing is ultimately going to rule the day and um, did call out Doomberg a little bit. So, you know, I think coming off a year where we got surprised to the upside, or most did, as to what the U.S. was going to be able to turn out, it just sets up kind of where are we in the global supply-demand balance and all the other stuff that's going on around that uh, related to geopolitics, uh, military conflict, et cetera. So, I mean, we've seen the way the stock the stocks have started off with a with a fairly uh, erratic trade. I'll just leave it at that. I mean, it's interesting. Art's article. I mean, Art is a petroleum geologist. He's taking it from a micro perspective. He analyzed a lot of the Permian wells. It's a really good article, but it it it, it, it creates a real big shadow over production rates in the Permian. And he, he actually does talk about Eagleford and Bakken and a few others. 
But ultimately, his belief is that EUR in the Permian and these other basins, tide oil, is rapidly declining at a, at a pretty scary rate. So we've already hit, in some ways, sort of peak oil production in these major basins. And he, he, he talks about continentals, you know, Ham discusses this and a few others. So, so it does point a pretty, pretty bleak, like maybe where's the next it's oil a, The sky is falling. I it's mean, and damn. I like Art. I've had Art on the podcast. Right. I like it. I think he's really, really sharp guy. It is a sky is falling article. Sky is falling. And then if you read Doomberg, which came out first, it's a macro view. So one's, one guy's looking at micro. These are what the, the data suggesting. Doomberg saying not necessarily they're not antithesis of each other, but they're two different perspectives. Doomberg saying, wait a minute, you know, like peak oil is a myth because number one, all the innovations is going on. Like they're going to figure out how to get more oil out of using less. I mean, they're using smaller holes. Um, they're they're drilling a lot faster. Like what is that? You know, one quote he said that that they're they reduced time. At least this is from Diamondback. It takes drill, reducing the time to drill an average about forty percent over the last three years. So there's mm-hmm. some massive innovation going on. Talking about political, he's like, look, in Saudi Arabia, politically, the cost to drill in Saudi is pretty damn low. But if you think of cost to drill in California, pretty damn high. So he brings in other perspectives, and then he also adds, as as, as Mark so- said, NGLs. Like we're we're getting so much out of the ground that we don't call as oil, NGLs, and other things that are almost sort of waste feeds that are actually super valuable. Like if we looked, if you compared us to OPEC alone, the US would be the second largest producer of NGLs in the world. Yeah. <clears throat> from waste, from tight oil. I just don't like, what did Art say that's revolutionary? I mean, that's all <laughs> stuff that's been talked about for the last three or four years. I don't think Art's really got a whole lot of original thoughts um on this topic and also we need a new policy for if someone blocks me on twitter they shouldn't be able to be cited as a source on our show Uh, (laughs) (laughs) wait wait who blocked you doomberg and art no Art blocked me a long time ago so why are we talking about parts out there listening i'm a changed man you can unblock me yeah (laughs) but i mean this is all like this is all stuff that's been talked about for several years and um you know uh, there's this saying that uh, pessimists sound smart, optimists get rich or something along those lines. And, you know, there's all this, uh, this negative talk about oh, the Permian's declining. Like, yeah, cool. You know, we've chewed through our, um, our tier one rock and I'm a big believer that we are just scratching the surface and enhanced oil recovery. And you look at how much oil we leave underground. I mean, I think I talked about this on BDE the last episode that we recorded maybe that I've got this book and it's called wildcatters and it's some little shitty print, you know, print book. And, but it talks about the resiliency of American independent operators. And this is like written before shell. And it's just like, it it talks about how this industry always finds a way to survive and produce oil and make money. And I think that the next wave of, um, technology is going to be around EOR and it's going to open up a lot of opportunities. So, you know, I'd love to go back and read opinions back in 2006, 2007 about the demise of 
oil and gas and uh, see how those opinions. I think in the late 80s, they said the Permian was already done with tier one rock. I mean, let's 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 well, go back. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you back up on this from kind of real world stuff. Get to Kane Anderson. The word of the day is acquire and exploit. Buy from a bigger person. Squeeze more oil out of it. And that's how you made your money. The engineers that were really good at that, forecasting the reserves, the operational engineers and all, totally didn't get anything done in the shale revolution until later because they were so good, but they were so myopic in their view of technology will not get better. And it was the dreamers like Aubrey McClendon, et cetera, that were like, no, no, no we'll get 30% better. I know we will over the next 18 months that actually could be the high bidder, buy something and then turn it into something better. And well, so, I even think you to look your at, point. Well, you look at all the M&A activity, which I know we'll touch on here in a little bit, but you know, everyone always thinks it's like, oh, all this consolidation, like it's over, you know, there's gonna be five major players. No, you have a new wave of entrepreneurs that are coming in and you know, going to scoop up fringe assets from these uh, from these larger operators and deploy new technologies. And so I actually get pretty excited about it. I mean, I know it's easy to sit there and, you know, <clears throat> hear these things and have a negative view on it. But um, like I said, there's going to be a, a new wave of uh, oil men and women out there that find a way to produce oil and get rich. So, so, so one last point, and then then we'll let Mark close it if he's got something he wants to add on this. But one last point I would make that I think a lot of people overlook when they do the numbers. And again, I like Art. We, he was great on the podcast. If he wanted to go grab lunch tomorrow, I'd love to because uh, I do like him. The one thing I missed from reading his piece, and I've talked. I had Ted Cross from Novi Labs on the podcast <laughs> six weeks ago, and we talked about this. I know I've mentioned it on BDE before. One of the things, whenever you talk about the Permian Basin, you have to remember Exxon and Chevron, two of the largest landowners out there, did not start drilling until 2018, i.e. way through the, uh, the shale revolution. So they kind of came in with, best practices, if you will, without a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Right. But that gives you, when you look at the whole Permian Basin year by year, it gives you this ramp like that when really, if they'd have been drilling and have learning curve stuff, you would have seen this. Mm-hmm. And and so I think it makes more pronounced a decline than there should be just because the best acreage came in latest with best practices. So, yeah. Mark, you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I'll just close it up. I, I think Kirk hit it on the head in terms of the way to think about it. In, in essence, I view it as they're the two here, Junberg and Art, maybe talking past one another a little bit. Yep. The micro macro uh, perspective or aperture on this thing is important to consider. You know, the the thing that grabbed my attention when I started reading Big Cheap Oil is a myth. He starts off talking about Matt Simmons and Twilight in the Desert, which was published in 2005. And I had a front row seat to all that came before that. And then certainly the aftermath of all that. And we've seen successive periods, not not just since Tide Oil has been a player, the, the dominant player in the whole U.S. equation. But think about the advent of 3D seismic and then combine that mm-hmm. 
with deep water and ultra deep water drilling, those were meaningful uh, increments, if not step changes, that were technology driven that allowed us, you know, to take it ever higher. And shale may, you know, end its high growth phase sooner as opposed to later if, you know, there's no more uh, downspacing that can be done or we've, you know, we've, we've got interference between wells, you know, <clears throat> there will be periods where your fresh legs that, you know, U.S. shale or U.S. production growth is about 80% driven by those three major oil plays. So, I mean, if you take zoom out to the macro, we're going to find something else and where that pivot points us and what technology gets applied, I think remains to be seen. Nothing cures nothing cures high oil prices like high oil prices, and nothing cures low oil prices like low oil prices. Well, I've always laughed because I didn't know that the tier of rock was a sliding scale that was dependent on oil prices. Like I thought it was like by the actual quality of the rock, but like all this tier two acreage is now upgraded as tier one Hold based on, one, on the pricing. One one thing show note here: we had a planning meeting on BDE. What can we do to improve? And one of the suggestions we had is. We need to disagree more when we do. We don't have to be nice to each other. We're all friends. We get along with that. And already we got like Mark sucking up to Kirk. Oh yeah, Kirk was right. Well, great. So Let smart. me throw a zinger because oh, I was thinking about this. You you gave me, you talked about Kane Anderson. Did you work there? I don't know. <laughs> okay. But here's Senator, my, I can neither confirm nor deny any Here's my question. You, you, you commented that you were in some ways a butler when you were at Kane Anderson, you only, all you did is you put people together. I've got to believe that you created some value. Uh, not I would just hope by, so. But. <laughs> so I was I'm, hoping that there's a longer pause so we yeah. can insert some crickets. <laughs> I'm here to explore what value did you create in oil and gas when Chucky was at Kane Anderson? Because there's a lot of future Chuckies that are like, I want to, I want that job. What's the in, value? In, in, What's in, the in legacy? All in all seriousness, I think what we did really well, now it took us a while to figure this out, but technology actually uh, pops up the usage in small defined geographic areas. Like they'll do stuff in the Bakken yeah. and they'll do it for a while there before it gets yeah. out. And as crazy, and there are no secrets in the oil and gas business, but there is time. And I think what we did really well by having our group of engineers is we would see some technology, understand what kind of rock it worked on in a certain area and be able to transfer that to basins faster than other people. Like we could go to our guys in, in, in the Permian Basin and said, hey, in the Bakken, we're doing this, we're using these type of you know, sliding sleeves, whatever the case may be, it might help you. And I think that kind of gave us a leg up. I think rich people stuff. always are in the import export business. And that's what I heard. You're in the import yeah, export import business. Export. <laughs> Importing out of Oklahoma. Also, I want to say we opened up this episode with me taking a dig at all your JFK proprietary research. You're the, so. you're the only one that took to heart. We need to disagree more. Well, I didn't even hear that. I didn't even hear that feedback that we were supposed to do that. I was just doing it by nature. We decided so. not to share, not to give you a license. <laughs> so all right mark get us on to a uh, natural gas yeah i mean um you know a few weather reports about the next week couple of weeks both in europe and the u.s going to be slammed with you know pretty frigid weather 
it's like a pretty broad swath of the U.S. And it just reminded me, and someone commented, I, I can't recall where I saw it this morning, but I think it was on Bloomberg, Javier Bloss was talking about, you know, it doesn't really matter now for, for traders, the winter is over because it, as we've said for the longest time, trying to game uh, the natural gas weather casino, it matters when it's cold. So here we are in the second week of January, entering the second week of January, and we're just now getting cold weather. Inventories are fine, et cetera. So we see, despite the, the deep blue and purple weather maps, we're seeing, I don't know where it's trading now, but we're seeing natural gas in Europe and the U.S. trading down when it started trading last night. And so, you know, just a reminder that um, gas has got, got a lot more flexibility and mobility um, and weather does matter. And the longer we go into the winter expecting cold weather and don't get it, then, you know, the tougher, at least for the investment horizon to find is, I don't know, next quarter or the remainder of the year is a tough, tougher one to sort her out and, I mean, and sort out. So. Said, said another way, Mark and I had periods in our career where a hurricane would hit and natural gas would jump 15, 20%, you know, in one day, even though you knew the hurricane had a shot of hitting. I mean, look at February of two, was it two years ago? The big freeze? Yeah. Screwed everything up. Yeah. I mean, you can predict, oh, it's going to be cold, but no one predicted. It's going to be so cold that nothing works. Yeah. That that being said, I, co- I follow a guy on Twitter named Josh, and it's Josh Trades, and he's mm-hmm. a big natural gas trader, and mm-hmm. I don't understand that um whole world but his take is weather actually doesn't matter anymore because you've got energy diversity you've got so much in the way of storage infrastructure you've had this explosion of natural gas production in the u.s and a point i hadn't thought of that natural gas prices are correlated to the u.s dollar more so than ever before because we're exporting so much so it's dollar denominated he said you got better forecasting. He says you got increased fixed price contracts. And then to your point with Winter Storm Uri, Texas hasn't done the best job of it, but most of the PUCs out there are saying bullshit to natural gas spikes to the consumers. So it's just, you know, hey, uh-uh, it's X. So his take is weather doesn't even matter anymore. And I hadn't really thought that through till I saw his text. Or saw his tweet, you know. I mean, I've never seen a couple of months ago. Just like kind of in my career of energy, I'll just say over the last five years, like I haven't seen weather really be a factor. Like it doesn't seem to be a factor. So Aubrey McClendon paid, and I'm gonna make this number up. Mark, you correct me or Kirk, correct me if you know, but he was paying, I think, five to ten million dollars a year in talent that sat in Oklahoma City and other places yeah. around the United States just forecasting weather. Oh, yeah. Because uh, it mean, mattered that much. Every every one of those. Yeah, yeah the, the, Chesapeake, the Chesapeake meteorologists, they had a bunch of other stuff on campus as well. But, yeah, that's that's exactly right. They, they brought two meteorologists, I believe it was, in-house. It's kind of crazy. I don't know that. I mean, I, I look, let, we'll have some traders – I, I want to disagree with that guy because okay. he trades. I don't, but I'm, I clearly know I have a microphone. So I'm the expert here. 
I think weather is the base, the baseline for trading. Maybe he's saying it doesn't matter because we all know what it is, but I, I'm sort of just going to disagree. So I'm going to go reach think, out to some of think, my trading friends and go like, this is bullshit. Well, your point is that it's just table stakes and that there may not be an edge on it, but it's the kind of Yeah, we've been saying, well, and I've been waiting, and I don't want to see it, but if Europe goes into tundra and becomes cold AF, they still are screwed. And I can't wait to watch. Now, I know we're going to talk about France and they're launching more nukes, not warheads, but <laughs> baseload power, and they're exporting to Europe, which is hilarious because I want to see Germany. I want to see France and uh, Mercedes-Benz move to, move to France. So Wouldn't here's that a, be funny? So here's what I got for you, Kirk. Josh has sent out a tweet that he will give $15,000 to anyone that can prove to him with data that weather matters. Now there are actually, there, there's actually, okay. you know, <laughs> there, there, there's some rules and restrictions to the, uh, to the trade, but to, he, he actually will back it up with cash. Here's so. now, this is where I get worried. I have some relationships. We all have relationships in the industry. This is a, this is on the friend relationship side and he's a top trader a very top trader. And I'm like, do I, do I cross the friend zone and say, look, this is, this is 15 grand. This is 15 grand. Of course he, you know, he probably makes 15 grand, you know, uh, every minute, <laughs> every, yeah, I think it's actually more than that, but, um, yeah, I might have to cross the friend zone and go. and go there. There you but go. Let's see. Sometimes you got to, man. Sometimes there you just go. got to do it. I'm so excited about our next story. What's that? About the, the wind farm. I've been uh, waiting to hear Kirk, Kirk's take on this. Well, I mean, you shared it with me, and I've been laughing. I still laugh, and I'm not sure why I'm so happy about it. It's just so funny. Uh, this was a uh, <laughs> tweet by an oil and ONG company. A federal judge in Oklahoma has ordered Italian energy company Enel to remove a 150-megawatt wind farm from Osage Nation lands in northern Oklahoma. The company ignored the Osage Nation's claim that a mining lease was required prior to harvesting wind energy on tribal lands. The court ordered an L remove all components of their wind farm in a ruling that sets an important precedent for future cases involving indigenous land rights and resource extraction. An L says it'll cost in excess of $300 million to dismantle the <coughs> wind farm. <laughs> Come on. I have lots of thoughts here. Let's go. So, you know, I posted this on Twitter yesterday, and essentially my headline was: Italian company has to pay three hundred million to dismantle eighty-four wind turbines because they fucked over natives in Oklahoma. That's an expensive lesson to learn. And so, essentially, what happened here <clears throat> is they dug up the ground to install these wind turbines, <clears throat> and the natives believe that their mineral agreement covers that, that if you used any part of the ground to construct it, that that constitutes using the minerals. Um, so they go to court, which, you know, I think you can have a lot of opinions on, you know, is that, is that right or not? But the fact is they take it to court and not only did this Italian company not stop, they accelerated building them and so 
I feel like, you know, that's just kind of a slap in the face to the natives and it's just going to piss them off. Right. And obviously native Americans have a very long storied history of, um, of less than favorable treatment, less than favorable treatment by the federal government, by the oil and gas industry, by a lot of people. And so where I found the humor was, was this Italian company coming into Oklahoma out of all places and thinking that you can just not give a shit about the natives. And, you know, now you're kind of having to pay for that. What I also think is funny is like, you know, the natives, to me, outside looking in, it looks like they're so petty. Like you could have had this Italian company like, hey, why don't you just pay us 150 million instead? We'll let you do it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, nah, take them down. Take them down. (laughs) um, Anyways, really interesting story. I think that it probably sets some level of precedent around constructing these things and what type of leases that you need. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what fallout there is um, in terms of precedent. And- I mean, what's interesting is, I mean, think about an oil and gas rig. It's drilling into the ground and, and, and extracting resources. A wind farm is, is basically digging into the ground, doing the same thing to provide stability for the thing on top that, that, that turns, but still provides electricity that is then pumped back under the ground and moved. Right. I, it's, it's, it's pretty, um, clever that their, their case. Yeah. I mean, I would just consider it surface facilities <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> I guess it depends on how, like, I don't know how deep are you digging? So is but- every foundation around the world, um, uh, now that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, anything but, that has a foundation is now yeah up. Like, if they didn't get mineral rights, yeah. then yeah, that's exactly like where I'm going. It's like, what kind of precedent does that does that set? So, it'll be interesting to see because I don't imagine that these foundations are super deep. I mean, probably like pretty heavy though and pretty tall. You'd think they'd have to go down at least a little bit. I don't know, but I mean, what are you talking like fifty? Hundred feet, I don't, I don't know, but relic like it, it's not like you're drilling a well. Does Limit- Chevron's office downtown have mineral rights? Because if they don't have the mineral rights, they they've, yeah. they're in violation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, anyway, someone just said uh, there was this conversation happening in my Twitter uh, thread of that post, and people were just talking about like the idea of like mineral rights around wind energy is such a just funny thing to like think about. Like there is like, you can't see wind, like no one owns wind and damn right you can see wind you ever been to west texas and you feel like you're about to get an alien's about to take you because that is the creepiest thing i've ever seen and it makes a lot of noise yeah i don't another one i just want to say something though on behalf of the native americans because if you think about it these europeans and their concept of property ownership land here Take Manhattan Island for 24 beads, I think. <laughs> and now these guys are sophisticated enough. Now nah, go ahead and tear down all the, uh, <laughs> the winter. It's, it's over. Yeah. The game they, is over, bro. They, they, they have learned. Love so. seeing, seeing the evolution of that. Uh, speaking of Twitter, before we get on to more serious topics, uh, did y'all see my, uh, my protest to shut down a road in Houston? Got bail money. Got bail money. So. I liked it. I just I forget who I think it was Josh Young that tweeted back about how it's wrong, and I said I got bail money. 
Get the picture on here. I even brought it into the office today, just in case. <laughs> Man. I'm ready whenever you what go is to it, jail. Like, is that 200 bucks? That's a Hunsky, baby. I bet right there. like 500. Um, I, bet, I bet I got 500 cash here. Yeah, so I guess stopped posting my intrusive thoughts on Twitter, but I was driving to the office and I was just thinking about all these road protests and like it doesn't make like, like we talk about every time, like these protests don't make any sense. It's like, why are you blocking a road? Why are you throwing tomato sauce on paintings? Like, it Let's cause sense. more consumption of oil by blocking <laughs> yeah. off the traffic. Let's drive there in a van. Let's do this with plastic signs. But you know how I am. I'm like, we got to fight fire with fire. And so who gives a shit if it makes sense? I was like, we're going to block a road in Houston to advocate for more oil production. So I put out, if this tweet gets 10,000 likes, I'll block a road um, to advocate for more oil production. And this thing started taking <clears> off. Like early stages, I was like, oh shit, I'm actually going to have to do this. And luckily it topped out at eight and a half thousand likes. So we almost got there, but not quite. But, um, you know, I was, I was laughing because like some of the oil dudes in here is like, have you not seen oil production? We don't need more more oil. I'm like, guys, you're mis- missing the forest for the trees. Like, you're not thinking about what this actually means. It's like we're going to go advocate for more oil and the good that it provides for society, and we're going to do this by shutting down a road because it makes absolutely no fucking sense <laughs> to do that. So, anyways, maybe later in the year I'll run the same challenge and we'll we'll make it happen. But you know, I was a little disappointed. I was a little nervous too. I was like, oh man, I'm actually going to have to do this. I didn't think it was going to hit 10k likes, but so before we go to our next story, I do have a special announcement. It's a, a PSA, a public service announcement. There is an event January 24th through 26th in Port Arthur, home of Janice Joplin. That is, is Jimmy Johnson. That is funded by Bloomberg. George Jones. And George, George Jones. Jones. Thank you. I knew he was going to come up with And you. Babe Zacharias, the greatest Babe female athlete And Jesse of all Dayton, time. by the way, who's my little, well, he might say he's, a couple miles down the road, but same thing. So uh, B. there's January 24th through 26th. It's funded by Bloomberg and his Plast- Beyond Plastics Activation Organization, along with a local group called the Port Arthur Community Action Network and the Society of Environmental Journalists. And they're going to be there to basically protest how bad plastics are. So I figure since Port Arthur is a heritage, a world heritage site of music, and that that's part of our backyard, and there's a great college there, Lamar University. Should we be there? We should go down and be part of this organization, uh, this event, and 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 tell every tell the and, world. Yeah, and and shoot it. I think what we should do is the four of us should draw straws, and the short straw has to go. <laughs> How's that? The short straw. I'm, I mean, Mark, you and I are in for sure, right? Mark, Mark Absolutely. And, Mark and Saul's the boots goal. on the ground, dude. <laughs> dude, Mark and Saul. I need I, I not a only festival need some, in the Golden Triangle. <laughs> not so, only is Mark smart, but also he's big, so he could be my bodyguard. I need to hear I need to hear some more. Well, like I actually agree, like plastics are bad. I don't think plastics are bad in themselves. I think the volume of plastic that we use is bad. Like I've got this whole like thing against single use plastics. So I need to know what the actual, what's the actual mission here. Dude, the father of environmental justice is speaking at this event. Dr. Robert Bullard. You, of course, if I say father of environmental justice, you're like Robert Bullard, of course. Uh, he's speaking. So at first I thought that was an official title. I was like, listen, man. It's so like a church for this. 
are plastics bad? Of course, like, is eating plastics good for you? No. Is throwing plastics in the ocean good for you? No. Yeah. Do we use plastics for purposes? Are they good for moving uh, water and liquids from point A to point B? Yes, very good. So, are they necessary in the healthcare industry? Very much so. <laughs> yes. We all be dead without them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we could argue. I mean, is but that's what know, I'm saying? Is like the is the purpose is plastics are bad, or is it the amount of plastic that we're using? I mean, bad? let's just argue: is a bullet good? What's that? What's I gotta do? <laughs> exactly. I'm not following the point. I, I, I want to say the price of tea somewhere, but I was just trying to use a different I see, analogy. I see your analogy on that. <laughs> I, I can see it. I don't want to make that argument. He's named all his kids after guns. I'm like right in the line of fire. Oh yeah, I would. Let's do. go, man. Yeah. I don't. Wanna... I could take a, the other stance. Yeah, but that's what I need. Some more clarification. Like if they're just like hippies that want to end all plastics, like fuck. The yeah, father go. of environmental justice will be there. That's all I have to tell you. That's <laughs> credibility. That's cred. Anything. That's funny. Anyone that says environmental justice is just. <laughs> I know a grifter right off the, right off the <laughs> He's top. Per so. Perfect. I don't even know what that means, environmental justice. You know, DEI is actually getting, like, starting to get squashed over on on Twitter. And I love, like, I love to see it. I love to see um, pragmatic thinking, critical thinking come back. And so mm -hmm. this whole, like, climate justice, equity, or environmental environmental justice i don't even know what that shit means like what does it mean like we focus on equity in climate and injustice like the fuck are you talking about yeah it's a that sounds good but so did communism you know <laughs> yeah. i mean it's hey jen powis will be there she's the managing attorney for the gulf at earth justice nice so i mean there's some there's true cred there I'll find out. Mark, Mark's agreed. We're gonna go down there. Okay. All right. I'll Since go. you got, you're I'll good. Go. Yeah. Let's go. Damn, dude. Finally. Let's Damn. go. I'll go. Mark my buddy, my buddy Clay Walker is from there, so we'll get him to provide our our side of the music. How's he doing, by the way? Doing well. Good. Good, good. This is our next record out. This is our next installment of Mark and Song right, Gang so go to Port Arthur. <laughs> Mark, while you're driving, I mean, you're pulled over right now, of course. But while when you get back on the road, be thinking about our trip, twenty four through twenty six. Maybe we just pick a few days or one day and just make it a day trip. But and we'll 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 shoot some footage. So. Yeah, I'm starting dry I'm January right now, so be, maybe I'll break it when we get down there because you can't go to I'm gonna Port be, Arthur without it. I'm gonna be in Oklahoma to. City, so maybe I'll get taps on the natives up there, and we'll there we go. We'll relay from both sides. Exactly. <laughs> perfect. Hey, uh, two. Two quick stories, and then I'm gonna turn it over to you to close, Kirk. Um, but one, there were three or four M&A deals talked about in the last four or five weeks. You know, Callan and Apache. We've got rumors of Chesapeake Southwestern, Rockcliffe sold to a Japanese electric company, et cetera. Mark has promised me that he'll come back, I think tomorrow or the next day, and before the end of the week, we'll actually do some deep dive on those deals. So we'll put out a supplement, BDE supplement number one. Nice. On the uh, M&A deals here before deep the end of the week. Like it. The, these two stories are related, even though they won't sound related. But, you know, there's been some Twitter traffic about Germany reduced its uh, emissions this year and it reduced its, you know, use of coal mm -hmm. and all that. 
and kind of pisses me off. Let me throw some numbers at you. So all these emissions reductions, number one, we had the warmest winter we've had in Europe since 1880, I think, or 82 or whatever it was. So just total energy usage in Germany was down 8% mm -hmm. year to year. So that's kind of number one on it. Number two, they, um, uh, they, you know, they were shutting down their nukes and all. So they're, they're talking about how much renewables added, mm -hmm. added to, uh, their electric grid. Well, guess what? The French right next door produced 40% more nuclear electricity this year. Guess where they were importing a lot of that? Exporting. Exporting. Yes, exactly. To Germany. So lo and behold, you're patting yourself on the back. Well, we're not going to do it here, but 150 <laughs> miles it. away, 200 it. miles away, we'll just buy it. With That's so much morally top. better. So who said the French weren't smart? I mean, come on, let's give them a little cred there. And they're actually supposedly adding seven gigawatts of nukes. As we detailed over the last year when we were doing our breakout of the European countries and who was doing what on energy policies, the French actually reversed during last year. They were going to shoot at the beginning of 23. They were shooting for 50 percent nukes down from 75. They've actually have decided to add more nuclear capacity. So. That's kind of cool. Can't let the French outpace us. On they really are. That's, they're being dude, way they more have been thoughtful. Playing chess, man. It's embarrassing, man. And 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 one of the things we we really did learn during that breakout of all that, Europe got to go as renewable heavy as they did because the French are just a big, huge battery. They're base right load. There, they base are load base with load. their nukes. So yeah. Um, this is going to sound like this doesn't have anything to do with this, but I think it does. The Everett LNG. Uh, regasification terminal, which is in Massachusetts, much to Toby Rice's chagrin, not allowed to build a pipeline from Appalachia up to Massachusetts to provide natural gas. So they import LNG because of the Jones Act. They actually don't buy American LNG. They buy the vast majority of it from Trinidad, although periodically <laughs> they will take a delivery from Russia and mm -hmm. buy Russian LNG. Everett's actually going to shut down this spring. Um, the, uh, really? the utility that owns it runs a big, huge power plant or had a big contract between Everett and, uh, a power plant there. And the power plant contract's been canceled. I'm not sure the details of that, but that means they're going to have to close LNG. That all sounds great. Yeehaw, all that. Massachusetts is going to be short natural gas. And when they're short natural Absolutely. gas, what do they burn? <clears throat> To uh to make power oil heating oil so there you go it's crazy dude I didn't <coughs> I didn't heating realize oil. I didn't realize until a few if you looked at the ago, map of like the northeast it's all heating oil yeah it's I didn't realize until a few years ago what that actually meant because one of my buddies in New York had a baby and he tweeted that they'd ran out of heating oil and he had like ordered heating oil and all this and like he was just tweeting about it. he's like there's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude, like, welcome to the first, like, like world down here in Texas. We just plumb that gas everywhere. Our house. So I, like, I forget what happened a few years ago, but like all these stars <laughs> in New York, you know, that all the actors and actresses that live in New York were protesting natural gas pipelines coming to New York. 
like it's bad for you. But what they don't realize is they burn heating oil in replace. I mean, they yeah. just like keep the oil. Yeah. Wow, that's super intuitive. I had no idea that this LNG facility was shutting down. But yeah, I mean, it's a pretty critical piece of infrastructure for. The I mean, New it was area. it was fifty. <clears throat> I want to say it was 50 BCF, uh, 75 BCF a year. Something and that like was that. always, it was not insignificant. that was always been a facility that people thought was going to flip and go to export. But yeah. it just, the yeah. pol- again, going back no to Doomberg, the politics are sort of dictating the price. And in this case, it's really the Northeast is just, I mean, there's, you know, they're doubling down on on really bad policy in our opinions, but I think know, like hey. that whole that whole situation has to be like the epitome of bad energy policy, just like with the Jones Act where you can't export from the the yeah. Gulf and take it up the coast. Like that would be better than you know what they're doing now. And and it's interesting if you talk to the traders that sort of trade a lot of these commodities, there's Jones Act only traders and then there's other. I mean, they sort of like it's a they just separate by a very old law. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. The ni- 1920s. So. I would love for someone to come on a podcast. Like I've never heard anyone give like the pro version of the Jones Act. Like, again, who, again, again, Colin, uh, Colin doesn't listen to my podcast. Uh, Colin Grabeau last week, he's obviously anti-Jones Act from the Cato Institute. And so we talked the vast majority about anti-Jones Act. But I did put him in the spot and I said, okay, make the pro argument for it. And the pro argument is, well, we need those skill sets in America. You know, merchant marine, people that can work on the ships, repair the ships, build the ships. It's more the stark reality that we've built one ship, Jones compliant, in the last two years. I mean, we don't have that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, It's... uh, but the the wildest thing he said on that podcast and the reason we still have the Jones Act, there was a Jeopardy question six years ago. And Jeopardy contestants are in the top 1% educated of America. Oh, are they Mensa? They're, they're smart people. <laughs> they're very educated. And there was a question where the answer was the Jones Act and nobody got it right. I mean, nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody literally knows. <laughs> I mean, my folks are really smart. And I came home and said, did this great podcast on the Jones Act. And they're like, Yes, dear, we'll listen to it. <laughs> Some of the dumbest people I've run across in my life say that they're Mensa. And maybe it's maybe I'm the dumb one. And I probably am. But Just, hey, before we uh can't are in the show, we can we jump to Mark? He might have some final thoughts. And yeah, Mark, I have what actually, did we mess up? A, a, a pretty interesting alert that just popped up on my screen. Right. Mark, let's go to you. Yeah, you didn't mess up. I I'm I'm gonna come from a maybe a bundle it up direction out of left field but prior to dialing in i was listening to joe rogan's latest with taylor sheridan if you don't know who taylor sheridan is he's the genius behind yellowstone 1883 1923 well about midway through the podcast joe rogan triggers taylor sheridan with a comment on you know just stop oil and the protest that turned into a wide-ranging discussion, everything from cold fusion to renewables to the fact that Taylor Sheridan is going to be starting a series with Billy Bob Thornton in the lead called Landman. So I think given the uh, 
subject matter and the topic coverage that we've had today, we may have enough for a spinoff. If, if nothing else around the, the, the notion of disputes between Native Americans and, and uh, renewable interlopers violating lease terms, et cetera. Um, he's got a lot of background knowledge in terms of the history of, of all of that, but I just found it very interesting. He's a very well-researched, um, I don't know if Hollywood type is the, the way to characterize it, but this, this stuff is starting to make its way into uh, the mainstream conversation on a more serious note. It, it really, we touched on a number of things, not the least of which is what Chuck brought up around Everett and its imminent closure and then what happened in Oklahoma, there's there's just a lot of collision moments coming up related to energy policy that I think um, are going to unfold over the course of the year, and it, it gives us, I think, some pretty good some pretty good topical coverage for future shows as we move into 2024. Well, Mark, safe travels. Thanks for those final words. Um, before I protest the, the Jones Act, I'm in the first in line. I want to be able to buy tequila on Sundays here in Texas. Is that wrong? I mean, nah. All nah. right. Finally, this popped up. Interesting. We record our shows on Mondays. Wait, a lot is of that just? <laughs> you want to discuss this? Let's go. No, I know, but just that tequila thing was that just a random thought? I thought you were going somewhere with that, but he was no. just slotting in. He's just expressing. Let's, let's we all know. Tequila we all know. Before, like, tequila. before we stop, before no, we get rid of the Screw uh, Puerto Rico Act. Okay, but we we. <laughs> We, we record our shows on Mondays, and tonight is the national championship game here in Houston. Yep. And guess what pops on my screen? Because you say it's irrelevant, or somebody in your podcast said it's irrelevant. The National Weather Service has issued a tornado watch on January 8th for Harris County. Um, so, hey, all you guys be freaking careful out there and if weather has nothing to do remember with it, weather doesn't matter weather, weather doesn't, doesn't matter, matter. <laughs> natural gas price <laughs> if anyone hears the show tomorrow it means we survived a potential national disaster well, houston for, disaster the good thing is is any tornadoes south of i-20 aren't serious so there's nothing but a dust <laughs> devil so <laughs> all right appreciate y'all tuning in to the show today appreciate mark and Saul calling from the road we will catch y'all on next episode.